Welcome to the Valley View Podcast. My name is Caleb Chamberlain, and I'm the pastor here at Valley View Church. We are so grateful that you are joining our church family as we pursue the Lord's heart and His plan for all of us. It is our desire to grow, and we are excited that you get to join us in this adventure. So grab your Bible and prepare your heart to seek God's face and all that He has in store. All right, discipleship. We, last week, I'll tell you what, I know I was a little wild, um, but I hope that you heard my heart. And I, I, I got to tell you, it was like one of my favorite teachings because I heard your hearts. I didn't hear just mine, I heard yours. I heard you guys ask questions and, and there were some good questions of like, what is God asking us to do? What is he inviting us into? Um, so we're looking at the heart for discipleship. Because again, like, I don't care what we do. We could do a million programs, but if you have no heart in it, then it's for nothing. We wasted our time. We've wasted our effort. We'll burn out. We'll get tired. Like, if you don't have the heart for reaching the lost and talking to people about Jesus, that's where we need to start first, not the requirement of going and doing. Because, you know, we can become such works based, but if we forget that the calling is God invites us in because what he, we've been freely given, let us freely give. Let's show us, let's show mercy where we've been shown mercy. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to cover all of this because I was reading through it again and I'm like, oh my goodness, Caleb, I put a lot on here. So um, if you have your notes, we might continue it another time. So I just want to make sure I'm not cranking it out to get all through all the notes. I want to make sure we eat and devour this word and understand what we're called to do. So we're talking about discipleship, which means, and this is, again, this is according to all of us put together, which I think that's so fun as we look through the word that we're all pursuing this. This is what we all have said, that we want to pursue discipleship because we see it as something that God has called us to do. On top of that, we see it as something that we haven't become proficient at. So we want to grow that. So we're sharing our faith. We want to grow in sharing our faith. We want to grow in commitment. We want to grow in becoming more like Jesus together. We want to grow in introducing others to Jesus. We want to grow in relationships and mentorships. We want to grow at raising up one another. We want to become better at this. We want to become better fathers and mothers in the faith. Fathers and mothers in the faith. I can't emphasize that enough. That shifted my whole paradigm of what it looks like for Christianity. We see too many pastors, preachers, and evangelists, and we forgot that the fathers and the mothers are the most neglected role. They're the most neglected role. And it's not because I'm not putting it on the church. It's just because we don't value them. We don't value them unless we uh, realize how bad of parents we've had, right? Like you've had some bad, rough parents or you've had some good parents. You always, I'm sorry, but you probably all see their faults, right? Were your parents perfect? No, we can all 100% agree with that. None of them were perfect. Oh, hey, hey, hey. I know. And I could be the first one to testify, I'm definitely not perfect. I'm, I'm, God, what a wretch I am. I'm so a wretch, but I know that God has invited me to become a father. He invites me in to become stewarding what God has put in my life. Um, and so we want to grow in this. In the last few weeks, we've talked about growing in our weakness because, again, I'm not trying to kick our church, okay? This is, this is not all, and I hope it's not your heart to kick the church either. Because it's our heart to see that we are growing in our weakness because God invites us there. We are the light of the world, right? So we must shine. We are ambassadors, so we must represent the king. We are examples of his power and mercy. We're examples, a testimony. So we must represent God's craftsmanship done in our lives. Man, what a craftsmanship he's done in our lives. Who we've become is not who we were. He's done that through his mercy and grace. And then last week we talked a little bit, and here's some, I didn't have points, I just, I had a lot of scripture, and if you didn't believe me, you, you should read your notes. There's a lot of scripture. Um, but the heart of discipleship, he, we want what he wants, because we see that Jesus lived out his life the same way. He showed us the testimony of his will be done, not mine, his will be done, my father's will. And we also want to be, able, we talked about the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence or by force, which is kind of a really a fun and wild way of looking at what the gospel is doing because force or by violence means it's not done by circumstance and hopefulness. And I hope it'll happen. I hope discipleship will happen. I hope the gospel will spread. It won't spread. 
it was spread whether by their tenacity to seek the gospel or by persecution squishing it out of Israel, okay? Like, I mean, Israel did not move. The Jews did not move out of their country until persecution came. So there was violence there. There was violence of coming out. But there's violence and also saying there was a shift because we have to look at the kingdom of heaven like there's a kingdom. There is a heavenly realm. There's, we talk about demons. We talk about angels. There is a realm that we're shifting. They're changing the kingdom of this age to the kingdom of heaven by force. And it's not done passively. It's done with relation. It's done prayer with relationship, with boldness, with faith, and with persistence. It's not passive. It's intentional. It's with God's leading. We don't do it just running around like, you know, I'm not asking you, okay, I'm just letting you to know, I'm not asking you to run and become a martyr in India, okay? That's not what I'm asking you to do today. What I'm asking you is say, God, how can I become more intentional, more of an ambassador? How can I become more persistent in my faith to share the gospel? Because you're the church, we talked about it a few weeks ago. We're the church. Wherever the church gathers, wherever we go, because this is just bricks and mortar. This is just wires and, and ductwork. And if you strip it down, it's basically nothing like, unlike your house, except for it's a little different shaped. It's got different rooms. We've got dividers. You know, like, but that doesn't make a church. Dividers don't make a church. And neither does a steeple, neither does any of the things. They don't make a church. You guys make the church. You guys are the special ingredient. You are the church. So we get to be the church today. All right. So I want to emphasize this here. This is my big emphasis. Because I really feel like the next few weeks are going to be a challenge. Do you feel like it's going to be a challenge? Here's why. Because God was just reminding me. Because I was like, you know, like, I was struggling with, I'm like, man, I just want to get this. And why is this a challenge? Why is this a struggle in my heart? As he said, because you're talking about your, your weakness. You're not strong at it. That's okay. He's not kicking us down. He's like, give yourself a break, okay? Don't kick yourself. Don't beat yourself up like we're failing. Because I want to emphasize this. We are not failing. And I hope I put this on there. Okay, good. We are not failing. We are not failing at discipleship, but we are not proficient at it yet. Okay? There's a hopefulness. There's a yet I want us to become proficient at it. I want this to become really good at doing it, and not only just really good at, good at doing it, but also passing that on. So we're growing in confidence. We talked about confidence and comfort. It was really good because, like, you know, it was a really good question. Why, what's comfort? What does it look like? And what circumstances? It was really good, Keith. I really appreciate you even asking that because it was, it was just really good. And then I, I wish Mary was here because she was asking some good questions. I'm like, man, this is a good, this is fun. I love this dialogue. But I want us to grow in comfort and confidence in his presence, where we know our gifts, we're operating in our gifting, we're confident in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're confident in the power of God's word, we're confident in the testimony of what God has done for us. That's it. But not just here, like, because I don't want to begin just going proficient in my own life where I'm operating by myself in my own bubble. I want to become proficient at sharing that now. So once you got it, you have to share it. Like, you know, like, it's, it's like if you ever, I mean, if you've met my brother, he's a blacksmith. He will share all day about all this stuff he does. He brings me a new knife he's made every time, and it always makes me excited about it. I'm like, ooh, that's really cool. Um, but here's the reality. He loves doing what he does. And if Lisa could testify, she's like, hey, would it be okay if I went and visited him? Do you think they'd mind? He loved it, by the way. He loves sharing with you. He loves showing you what they do. He loves, say, look here, you could do this and you could do this. He talks about it because he's excited about it and he's becoming proficient at it. But if he just held on to his gifts and never shared the joy of blacksmithing, wow, what a wasted gift. What a wasted, one generation, it's all gone. Man, that's why his father-in-law, he talks about it. He tries to give people not just... Here, here, I want you to make a knife. He's like, no, I'm here, I want you to have the heart for blacksmithing. Same for us. We want to have the heart for sharing the gospel. We want to ha- share the heart of, man, I'm so glad I have these gifts because my father has given me tools and he's shown me how to use them really well. And not only am I going to use them well, I'm actually going to help, help someone else, the next generation, the person that's around me. I'm going to start showing them how to use this. So we need to take a cue because I think this is, I think, and Becca hit it on the head we don't want to become complacent. 
We want to become proficient, always increasing in capacity, always stewarding onto the next generation what God's put in our life. And in order for us to grow in this area, we need to take a cue from David by inviting God to come and examine our lives for areas of complacency. We need to examine those areas. Psalm 139, 1 through 3 and 23 and 24. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are very familiar with all of my ways. So search me. It's not just, you know me. He's like, but he's inviting. It's like, we could just say, oh, I know God does this. But when David shifts the heart perspective, he's like, no, now I want you to come in. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We want to live like that. Now, I'm saying we're not going to be proficient now. Okay, like I talk about a marathon runner. Do you want to start running a marathon? Well, not, not today, not tomorrow. Like, okay, so, okay, what would be, okay, if you did want to, okay, what would be a, a good thing to grow? Like, okay, if you want to become a blacksmith, what's a great way to start? Start a fire. Well, start a fire. Yeah. Start a fire, bring the metal. Start asking, start looking around, start looking for people. Okay, but it doesn't, but now you start and you got to try. And let me tell you, my first knife that I ever made, an oil knife, by the way, <laughs> it didn't look the greatest. And man, oh man, did I need help. My goodness, I needed help. I needed help from people to show me how. And I realized what you don't do, what you do, do do, and you do what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to hit, what you don't waste your energy, these things like... And so he's the same way, if we want to run a marathon the same way, we can't run a marathon, we can't run these miles and miles and miles and expect us to succeed or not die at the end. Let me tell you, I've tried a half marathon twice. I, I, I finished, I should answer that. I finished a half marathon twice. One time I prepared for it, one time I did not. Let me tell you what, there's a big difference in how you feel afterwards. And it was not as good. The second time was not as good. But the reality is he's, God's inviting us to go run, not 13 miles. He says, run a mile. Maybe run, walk it. Maybe walk it. Whatever you got to do, start somewhere. Get outside would be a good start. Or get on your treadmill if you want to stay inside. I get it. You know, like it's nice in the air conditioning. But he's asking us, to, man, God, search me and know me. Search for any way that I'm not growing and show me what you want. Because we won't want our desires. We want his desires. We want his ways. And so wonderful thing is Romans 8, 26 through 27. It says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for sometimes. We don't know what we need. But the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance according to the will of God, with the will of God. He wants what the God wants. The Holy Spirit is working. So if we ask Holy Spirit, God, Holy Spirit, I don't know what I need to grow in. Help me see it. Maybe it's speaking in tongues and praying for a while and just asking for the heart. Maybe it's just, it just but it's, 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 it's asking Holy Spirit, help me, intercede for me. Help me see what I don't see. Help me grow where I don't know where to grow. I don't know what to do next sometimes. You just don't know. But you ask Holy Spirit, he's going to show you. So we're growing in confidence. We want to grow in confidence. And I love the example because we're like trying to figure like, you know, we want to be comfortable, right? You know, I, I, want to, I don't want to be busy all day long. And God has set the example, perfect example in Genesis. And I love that um, uh, the Cross Ministries, uh, Eric and Miranda, were sharing that like, it's not about working all the time and toiling and going and going. He's like, no, there's, there's a day of rest. God set the tone for that. So it's good to have rest. But also, it's good for us to know that from the beginning, Adam had work to do. That's what we're called to do. We as men love to work. If I love doing things. I don't love doing everything. I don't love doing a specific job sometimes, but I love working. I love putting my hands to things. It's fun. But we don't like the, the, the toil. We don't like the, the weeds. <laughs> that's, what, that's what comes with sin. But God has given us tools. He's given us a command. So you look at your backyard, you're seeing all the weeds and everything that's grown up and all the things, all the projects that your father in heaven has commanded you to do. He says, go, make my yard look awesome. All right? <laughs> like, if that's what your father in heaven said to do, you're like, okay, but I don't know how to do it, God. How do you do that? He's like, well, here, I've got some good tools. Here's a mower. 
Here's a weed trimmer. Here's some loppers here. You're going to cut some bushes. Here's, I'm going to show you how to do it and how not to do it, how to be careful. I'm giving you the tools, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to how to do this. And not only this, but we need to steward our time, right? Because like if we try to do it all in one bit without any rest, we're going to get tired, hot, sweaty, and then pass out. And then God's going to find us passed out in the backyard and saying, what happened? He's like, no, rest sometimes. There's a good, it's good to have rest. But he said, also steward your time well so that you can get the work done that's necessary. All right? I'm not even to my first point, okay? All right, so we might not make it through this whole thing, and I might actually put a pause on it. Um, but I just really want us to understand the heart of discipleship. I don't want to beat us up. I want to encourage us and spur us on. And sometimes it is just light a fire. <laughs> light a fire and get ready to see what God's going to do and how he's going to shape us. So what is discipleship? It's relational. This, okay, these are the answers. I broke up into three parts. It's relational, it's intentional, and it's a process. So relational, it's relationships, it's mentorship, it's becoming mothers and fathers. You have to become that. It's relational. You have to put yourself in the place of, with people. It's intentional. It's sharing your faith on purpose. You can't just share your faith by accident. You have to purposely find, you have to invite Holy Spirit, whether it's like Fred says, you know, ask the Holy Spirit like, to give you wisdom and how to do that. I'm, I'm sure all of you, a lot of you have done that. Like, I love those people who have encouraged me to ask and invite Holy Spirit to give me wisdom for the day, to give me an idea for the day, put people on my path. It's introducing people to Jesus intentionally. We don't hope people will get to know Jesus through the way we're smiling. We might mention the name of Jesus because that might require talking about him because it would be like, I think you're married. You have a ring but you don't talk about the person that you're married to. Talk about him. Talk about Jesus, the one who is your bridegroom. We love him, so talk about him intentionally. And it's about intentional raising up one another. I don't know if you know this, but you can't have kids without trying. Right? You can, but there is an intentional opportunity that you take to make kids, okay? That's all I'm saying about that. You guys know what I'm talking about. We need to intentionally place ourselves in the place of asking God to give people opportunity, like to raise up somebody. So you can't say, okay, God, I hope I, 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 have, a, I have a kid someday. Like, like a spirit, like, I hope I can become a father in the faith someday. It's like, Lord, no, I want the heart. Like Michelle's like praying for the heart of being a mother. I want to have the heart of a father, a heart of a mother. I want to have the heart spiritual parent. God, help me to have that. I want to have that. I want to put myself in a place to receive that. And not only that, once you get that child, you ain't done. You just started. So you're like, okay, Lord, I'm going to raise this child. And I love it even like just with you guys, with you know, foster care. Sometimes you get them for moments. You get them for moments. But once they're in your lives, it's game on. You pray, you intercede, you go for it. But you can't do it if you're not willing, if you don't open your doors. And it's a process. It's a process. Becoming more like Jesus together is a process. It does not come overnight. It takes tenacity. It takes yielding. It takes intercession. And it takes commitment. It takes seeing what you've multiplied, multiplied again. We want to. It takes time. My dad and my mom would give, get after me about uh, whenever we were going to have kids. And, you know, for 10 years being married and not having kids is a, kind of a long time, especially since they had a kid at the gate. You know, when they, had, when they got married, they had a kid. It was done. So they were like, when are you going to have kids? Are you ever going to have kids? And I was like, you know, and it, it takes time. It's a process, all right? So, but the, really, the reality is like, they don't, it's not because they just want the grandkids, they want what's been multiplied, that they've multiplied in their lives to be multiplied again. They want the joy of being a parent to have, for me to experience that. That's their joy. It's their joy. And I, I just, I love that. And I want it for my kids. I'm like, I'm not going to force it. I'm gonna, I, just, I want that joy of being a parent for my kids. All right. So point one. <laughs> point one. Making disciples requires relationship. It requires it. You cannot get with, way without being relational with one another. And it's not just relationship with people. It's relationship with God's heart. You know, we need to know God's heart. 
And that's where it starts, right? We have the heart for discipleship begins with having the heart of God. So we have a relationship with God's heart and relationship with one another. We want what he wants. This is where it starts, and it begins, continues, and ends with prayer. Can I tell you that again? It begins, and it continues, and it ends with prayer. We undervalue prayer, and I'm not saying this for you. I'm just saying as a general rule, a lot of us undervalue the power of prayer and the power of togetherness in prayer because we want to pray together. We want to seek the Lord together. That's why we try to shift. We're trying to make sure we have opportunity to pray once a month together. That's why when you have your life groups, I love Lisa. She'll get after me sometimes if I get talking too much and we forget to pray when we talk, when we have our worship family time. I need reminded of that because somehow I steamroll into planning. I steamroll into things and thoughts and my own things. And I forgot to ask the Lord for what he thinks, for what he wants. Invite him into the process. Discipleship requires prayer. We're asking for God's heart and the patience to walk it out. So I've got a few. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He's warning us. He's warning us. This is a, this, if Paul's warning us about anything, he doesn't warn us about a lot of things, but he warns us about a few things, and this is a big warning. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. From Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, I don't want us to all be coming to people and say, I want to be your father, okay? That's not the goal. It's like, you know, Luke, I am your father. Like, you know, I'm, not, I'm not coming to you to say I'm going to be your father, because, you know, we know Darth Vader was a terrible father. Let's just be honest. He didn't even know he was alive. And then he, you know, whatever. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is, sorry, I was like, <laughs> but like if you look at Darth Vader and saying he's the father, like, let me tell you what, that's just a paternity test, okay? Not what you've been. You've been a crappy dad, all right? Darth Vader's a bad dad. Let's just let it be known. He's a bad dad. We don't want to live like him. We don't want to say, I am your father. No, we just need to say, I see you. Paul saw Timothy and said, man, man, I love you like a son. I love you like a son. He didn't say, I'm your father. He said, ooh, I love you, Timothy. Let me help you. Let me help you see what I've been growing in. Ooh, let me help you walk through these little areas that, whew, I wish I would have known this when I was growing up, all those years of learning the law and walking in this, and now I had to have a big encounter with the Lord. I don't want you to get blinded by the Lord. I want you to experience these things now, not later. I want to help you raise you. I want to encourage you. I want to spur you on. I want to become a dad, not by saying, I'm a dad, but saying, I see you as a son. I see you as a daughter. If you see people as sons and daughters, not because you're trying to take over their lives, but because you see the value in them, it doesn't matter who's in your life. It doesn't matter. If you see them as a son, as a daughter, and you love them, whether it's moments or years, because God is inviting us to bring people into our lives. He wants us to invite people. But we need to ask God to invite people into our lives. We need to ask him. And sometimes it looks like a Paul and Timothy, which is, you know, years, years. Or sometimes it's like Philip and the Ethiopian where, you know, Philip's walking along the road and there's an Ethiopian. He's going, pulling through the scroll and trying to read, and I forget what passage, what, what, old, what prophet, but he's reading through the prophet trying to understand what's going on there. And this is a discipleship moment. And he comes along and he disciples him. He raises, he, he shares the gospel, he shares what God's doing. He un- helps him understand what God's saying there and baptizes him. And then he's gone. He's taken up in the spirit. The the spirit like vanishes him. So that's a moment. But we're not all looking for moments and we're not all looking for years. We're looking for the heart that is willing in all circumstances to approach those around them with the gospel, to see what God is doing and wants to do. Because that Ethiopian, that was an opportunity. God's like, here. Timothy came along and Paul's like, ooh. And then God's like, here. He's presenting an opportunity, and we need to ask the Lord to help us see each opportunity and seize it. And now this could be look like, you know, seeing the heart for the fatherless. If you want to talk about the fatherless, we're in a big fatherless, you know, generation right now. 
If you don't believe it, look around you. There's not very many fathers. It's awful. And if they're fathers, they're not really good ones. Some of us, I mean, that's why my heart's cry is, and, and, and I, I just, that's been my heart's cry for like years. I just know I was looking at all these young youth, and God's like, he highlighted all these youth. He's like, they're, most of them are fatherless. They'll never be raised by a good father. They'll never be fathered into the faith. They'll never. He was just helping me understand that there's such a need because we're excited about the youth, but we forgot to raise them up as fathers. My, my dad was amazing, but there's not very many like him. And even then, he, has this, this, he had those flaws. He knows. I have my flaws, but I long to be a father that's a good father. But we have to realize that we're not just called father to father the birth kids, the, the people that are birthed in our lives or come through our lives through adoption or for, through foster, but like anybody. We want to become fathers and mothers in the faith to anyone. And it could look like having God's heart for the unlovable. I could read through this. Like, this is just a great example. Peter is ministering to those who would not, he would not associate himself with, the unclean, what, he would, what God would call unclean. Um, Acts 9, 9 through 22, the 27 through 36 and 43. I was trying to skip, chunk it a little bit so you could get the concept but not read the entire thing. But, but noon the following day, as they were beginning on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, I don't know if that was hungry, but it was, that was the Holy Spirit. Man, but he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet. Sorry. Oh, here, I'm, I'm way off. Okay, here we go. There you go. I love you guys. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if you know about the Jewish culture, you know that these animals, you don't eat them. You just don't eat them. He is presenting animals that he knows are against his culture. And that's why Peter says, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything. I've never eaten anything pure or unclean. Let's see if we can... Maybe. All right. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out and asked if Simon was there, who, or who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against all the law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. It's against our law. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then God is sharing with them. He's sharing with these three people. He is speaking to them, giving them vision. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to them. I'm going to skip a little bit ahead. He's having, um, let's see here. Just want to make sure we, I'm just going to read through the whole thing. <laughs> Send to Joppa. We'll just get context. For Simon, who is called Peter, he is a guest in the house of Simon, the tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. And now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Would you feel a little overwhelmed a little bit? Like, okay, what am I supposed to tell you? God's like, you got to go to these people. And then the people are like, yeah, you were supposed to come to us, and now we're waiting for this great word from the Lord. Uh-oh. Well, then here's the thing. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Praise God for that right now, because he didn't show favoritism to you or against you. You're invited. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
It goes on for a little while, and he's sharing it all. But while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. All of them. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they were baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is just, it's so astounding. Read through it. It's such an astounding passage because sometimes we think, well, good for Gentiles because that's me. Like, I finally get in. I'm, yay, for me. Yes, for me as a Gentile. But here's the reality. We're thinking of people, sometimes we have people who we believe cannot possibly turn. People who could possibly, couldn't possibly be loved by God, who they're just so far out there. They're so much of a wretch. They're so impossible. I can't even associate myself with them. Start thinking of those people and they'll come to mind. Those those people come to mind. God, are you inviting me? And this is not you provoking it within yourself. God, give me the heart for those who I think are unlovable. Give me that vision that you give Peter. Give me that understanding that not all things are unclean. If he makes them clean, they're clean. They can be redeemed. This is what we're asking for. This is why it takes relationship. This was what takes a relationship with God's heart. Peter didn't do this because he's like, well, God said it, therefore I did. He's like, no, I have a relationship with you. I trust that what you're calling me to do. Because the next chapter a bunch of Jewish, Jewish people actually started rebuking Peter for a minute. Like, what were you doing there? What were you doing there? You should not have been there. But Peter's like, I, he, he explained himself. He explained what God had showed him and what the evidence, the fruit of that. That's what the reality is. Like, we're asking God to show us the heart for it so that way we could follow up and step out and be in relationship with people who I would find unlovable, unredeemable. So we need to be in relationship. Now, discipleship also requires persistence and intentionality. Now, we're in an age of quickness, of instant. We talked about this. I love that Cross Ministry has talked about the process. God is a God of process. I love that they shared that because it's so important for us to see that it's going to take time. And it's going to take, but it takes persistence. It takes intentionality. You know, if the Jewish people had been intentional and persistent at obeying and trusting the Lord, they would not have had to walk through the desert for 40 years. They would have actually been able to see the promised land. They would have been able to be in the promised land. But it takes persistence. It takes intentionality, trusting that the Lord is good. And Titus 3.14, sorry, I forgot to put the slide up there. And Titus 3.14, oh my God. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unpredictable, unproductive lives. We want to do what is good. We want to keep going. It's not good for us to live unproductive lives. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually... Uh, oh, hold on, I'm going to back up there. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is, him, but is himself to be judged by no one. For he, 
Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we have the mind of Christ, which is, which is why we can't look things the way we look at them anymore. It takes us seeing things that are not seen yet. It takes things hoping for things that God has given us hope for. It takes us looking for what God has in mind. Everything we do is not with the mind of man. It is with the mind of Christ. We don't want to be rapid, fast moving, ready, ready, go, 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 like just constantly, constantly hoping for instant gratification, hoping for instant oatmeal, you know, hoping for the instant. We want to say, God, I want to intentionally place myself and ask God for your mind, your perspective, and this it requires asking for his wisdom in tough conversations because sometimes we want to react, we want to think the way we think. We have to ask God, help me be slow to speak, quick to listen, and help me hear your thoughts on this. Help me understand your perspective on this. There's so many passages of not getting tired, not growing weary. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And for some reason, I don't know if I have this passage on here. I think I skipped them, but I'm going to read them to you. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. I think I did read that. Okay. I might have my verses a little mixed up. There's my... Yeah, love software. In 2 Peter 3, 8, we talked about the patience of the Lord. He is not slow in keeping his promise, right? As some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We want what God wants. We want to pursue it with intentionality. So yes, it may take years. Yes, it may take time, but it's worth it. Making disciples, oh, here, oh, I did talk about that. Okay, here we go. That was the passage. Make disciples also. This is the last and thirdly. It requires patience in the process. Now, if you expected your one-year-old to be an eight, acting like an 18-year-old, I'm sorry that you're going to be sorely disappointed for a really, really long time. Really long time. Oh, it's not about your timetable, is it? It takes a process. I know you're all thinking of those kids. It took a process. And some of them grow up faster than you want. Some of them, it's like, Lord, help them grow up. Oh, Lord, help them. But I remember, I, I love that this is something that's been so sweet about my mom's journals. I, I was, um, we've been able to look at them. Like, you know, she passed away. It, was a, it will be seven years this November. But it's really cool because my mom would go back and she would journal every morning. She would spend time with the Lord. And, and it was just, you could see her heart. It was prayer journals. It's kind of funny. I think it's really cool that she, that she prayed. Like, it's kind of like what I do. I, I didn't realize we did the same things, but I pray journal. I don't, I don't write Dear Diary. I, I pray to God in my journals. Um, and she did the same. She would ask God. She's like, God, I see this. I see this in this. And I see this in my son. I see this in Caleb. I see this in Michelle. Or, you know, not Michelle, because Michelle was not her daughter. Um, I see this in, you know, Megan and Bethany. And I see it in my sisters. And she's seeing things. Now, some of these things, they'll never come to pass for her where she sees it. It's past her lifetime. She's praying. She's interceding. She's hoping for things. It takes a process, and some of it is happening. Some of it has yet to happen. But she's praying. She's seeking. She's longing for things that are not of her timetable. Man, I wish she could see where we are. I wish she could see what she had hoped for. But she is. Because she hoped for things that are in Christ and she is with him. So we need to also understand that this is not our realm. This is not a realm of our flesh and what we hope for in the flesh. Romans 8, 9 through uh, 39. I'm going to skip through here. Here we go. Now I'm back to where I wish should have been. <laughs> you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raises Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, 
therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The misdeeds of the body, the things that are not of God, everything that comes against his will is, is the misdeeds of the body. We want what he wants. You will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We want it because it's our dad's desire. We cry out to our Abba. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings. Oh, share in his sufferings. Not his joys, not his fun stuff, not his, uh, not his, you know, his teachings, his sufferings. If we share in his sufferings, in order that we also share in his glory, because it's sharing his sufferings that produces glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's not just you guys, by the way. The ones that have yet to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Okay. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, which, praise God, Michelle will be enduring here soon. Lord, oh, Lord, we know that it's groaning as in the pain. We know that child is there, right? It's just not yet. Man, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, we grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are safe, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. But who, who hopes for what they've already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for sometimes, right? This is that passage again. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things. And I love this. this is the context of this passage that we love, but miss the context. We know that in all things, God works for good, works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But it calls for us to suffer. It calls for us to experience Christ's sufferings in order to experience God's glory. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among no more, oh wait, no, among many brothers and sisters, that we might become the first fruits, the first fruits, that we might become that. Among many, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, passing it on, seeing more brothers and sisters wrapped around us, is coming together as a family. We see more coming into the family. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's inviting us in. We have fear that comes in. This is what is the wonderful thing, because then it leads us into the next passage. It leads us into the next things. Who he did not spare his own son. This is the kind of God we're talking about. Did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all these things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen if it is God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. So we need to see God, the people. We need to see those people who were brought in. And not only that, but we also need to see them as chosen, that there's nothing that separates them. We need to see them with the love. So it's not our bias that separates them either. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not just me and you. Who shall separate us from? the people of God, the people that God has predestined, pre-chosen. Who shall separate it? It won't be trouble or hardship. It won't be persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. This doesn't sound like an easygoing discipleship, does it? But this isn't because we do this in our own strength. We do it with him. We trust him. We seek after him. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present or future or powers, height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't want to separate him either. I don't want to even attempt. I want to see that there is nothing that could separate the people that I love that are not following Christ from the love of Christ. He wants to pursue them. There are people in our lives that we want to see, and we say there is no way. There's nothing that can separate them. And I don't want to be the one that holds back. I want to be that one. I want to be the love of Christ that goes beyond those things, beyond the hype, beyond the depth, beyond the demons, everything that separate, that we believe that separates. I want to go past that and see the person that God has invited us into to love them. I want to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I want to see God pull people in, see my sisters come to know him, see my brothers come to find out who they're called to be in Christ. We want to become ministers, ministers of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, which, by the way, is all of us. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, which takes persistence, which takes time. This doesn't happen overnight. This does not happen in our timetable. But this does this when we pray, when we seek, when we say, Lord, I know that there's nothing that can say, separate that person I'm thinking about from the love of Christ. There's nothing. So why am I giving up? Father, help me to persist, to pray, to seek, to look after, to build a relationship. Let me build something in. Let me ask for your heart. You're tenacious. Help me be tenacious. Help me seek. Help me long for what you long for. Because we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Billy Graham, people of the faith that we know about, some that you might not know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a challenging book. I'm starting to read through it because I really love this man of God. I love his heart because he knew what it was like to endure sufferings and discipleship through a really uncomfortable time, which was during Nazi Germany. It was not easy. And it cost him. But he says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And Billy Graham, who we, I would hope that we know him, he has such a testimony of how many people he has invited people to Christ. But he says, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. I want to invite God to just move in our hearts and just show me the next thing. I can't expect him to do all things real quickly. I can't expect to run a marathon right now, but I can ask God to say, okay, God, here's where I'm giving you this. I'm giving you everything, and it looks like this. It may not look like much, but it is everything that I can give you. It is everything that I know how to give you. And here's, and help me, stretch me, God, to give you the next more thing. To stretch me, because like, if you want to run, if you want to increase your, your running, by the way, not that a lot of us want to run right now, if you want to grow as a runner, the best thing to do is run harder, as hard as you can at the last little bit, because it increases your stamina, your, your strength, your ability to run harder and far, farther. So we need to be stretched. 
We need to be strained. We need to be pushed. At the very end, when we say, God, I don't have enough. I don't want to do anymore. He's like, okay, run a little harder because you'll get better tomorrow. It'll get better tomorrow. You may not be great today. You may feel miserable afterwards, but man, you're going to be stretched. You're going to be pushed and you will grow. So we're asking God to stretch us, to have the heart for discipleship, to have the mind of Christ. So I just I know that passage. I'm still reading through it, trying to understand more and more about it. So I just ask, I encourage you, read through Romans 8. Of all the things I want to emphasize, I want to be the firstborn about many. I want to see many come to know him. I don't want to be complacent and not seeking more. I don't want to be complacent and and neglecting to pray and ask God for the many. But many starts with one. It starts with the one around us. Many requires relationship. Many requires intentionality. Many requires a process. It takes that fathering, that mothering, the speaking life, and stepping out in simple obedience. It doesn't, and I think that's what's wonderful. It's, it doesn't take more out of you. It's just saying, God, help me overflow with the heart of a mother, which maybe you don't, we don't have that. Maybe that's something we struggle with. I don't know. Like, or maybe it's like, man, I hit here, but I, I kind of feel like I've tapped out a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't see myself that as anymore. I kind of just, I don't know. I'm not saying we're, because I agree, we are really good at loving one another. We're, we're so good. But I think it's just asking also, Lord, for us to be inviting to say, okay, who's next? Because you guys came through those doors. We all came through those doors some way or another. And that's how we got loved and loved and parented in some ways, encouraged, spurred on, spoke life into, prayed when things were just really awful, and spoke life over us when we were speaking a lot of death over ourselves. We had those parents, those people like, I'm sorry, you can't talk to my person that way, all right? We need people like that, but it's not, and now it's about, but what's more? What's beyond these four walls? What's beyond our time to hear? Like, where are you saying, like, Lord, help me see those people? This may take time. It may take 10 years. It took my wife 10 years of marriage before she actually had her first child, okay? That's, that's time. Was it wasted? No. She earnestly sought the Lord for the heart of being a mother. I think we could stand to seek the Lord for a long time for the heart of becoming like a father and a mother. And that man, and that doesn't mean he won't do it overnight. It doesn't mean it'll take 10 years. But man, it starts with, God, I want what you want not what I'm comfortable with, not what I know, but what I know that you are good. This is your desires. I want your desires. So that's what, that's what I want to encourage us. If you want to stand with me, I'm just going to pray. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Uh, something else had something to say. I don't want to like cut it short. If not, we can share at the life group, which is a wonderful area too, to, to share what God's doing in your heart. But if you feel like, man, I really... I'm really struggling with this idea of being a parent again. Like, you know, some of us are like, I don't want to be a parent again. Like, but like, not again. But this is the wonderful thing. It's not about you creating a college fund for this child. You are stewarding what God has given in you. So much more rich than what a college fund could ever do. So much more than all these little fun, you know, after, after school events are. Lord, he is giving them such a value. He's stewarded treasures in you. He's stewarding the power of the Holy Spirit. He's stewarded patience, gentleness, goodness, things that are lasting, that will outlast anything else. And so he's stewarding that in you. So how can we start passing that on to the ones around us, the ones that, not the ones sometimes we prefer. (laughs) Sometimes it's just the one that's in front of us. And those are a little challenging people sometimes. Lord, Help us. If you feel like that's your heart, just ask him, Lord, help me. Help me to step even further into my role. Help me to find myself as a looking, seeking, knocking. Help me to become intentional and relational again. Help me to open up my doors to becoming a spiritual parent. Help me to have a heart that's willing Jesus, we want what you want. And we know that it's your desire that not all would perish, but all would come. All would come. That's your desire. So it's our desire. Father, we desire what you desire. 
Lord, we ask that you just highlight the areas of uncomfortability where there might be some resistance. I know I have some. Father, help me. Where I've had resistance to your will, where I have resistance to boldness or stepping out or whatever it is, or maybe I'm getting impatient. Father, Lord, highlight the areas where I'm struggling as becoming a father in the faith. Help me, Lord, be willing. Help me be willing to open up my doors to anyone. Lord, help me to steward the relationships I have that you've already given me well, Lord, and not neglect them, but Lord, help me to see the value and the time I spend with these people, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at your neighbors, whoever it is, God, highlight the people in our lives that you've already put in our path to raise up, to steward our discipleship life, to steward our discipleship one-on-one with you, our heart with you, but also, Lord, discipling one another, which is your greatest commandment. Father, your greatest commandment is to love you and to love one another, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we love you, and that is why we say yes we will be obeyed. Yes, Lord, we will go out and make disciples of all nations because we love you. It's in Jesus' name and not our might. In Jesus' name that we pray and say yes to this. Amen.